Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Listen, don't diss the fish sauce. Mate, I'll diss the fish sauce as much as I like. Uh, this just shows that there is there are... Um, is there how the, is this how the intro stuff that you just haven't explored yet in is, your life? Is this how which is di- of you of all people, very, Andy? <laughs> it's very disappointing because you're generally a much more open-minded person than I am in but, almost every way. But the thing is, Lars, I've explored fish sauce more than I want to. But maybe that is the problem. Maybe that's I'm the like, issue. I told you wow, you've done that's it wrong. curious. I, I, I now <laughs> want to know how no, you've explored you've using very, it. You've got to be very careful with it. You know, <laughs> only use you know the the right amount. It's dangerous in the wrong hands. Very small. It's, it's, well, it's dangerous in incompetent hands as well. Saying. Right, right, gotcha, gotcha. So I might have sent you guys a note to the shared WhatsApp group this week saying um, if we don't open the show by discussing Chelsea versus Ajax, you're all dead to me. Um, I missed it, Andy. Can you just keep, keep tell us what happened? What Was it a good game? <laughs> I thought Ajax would, you know, be smarting after that defeat in Amsterdam. Yeah, well, as 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 you would imagine, you know, um, with having let in that late goal, they were focused really on defending this time. Yeah, that, that, mm-hmm. that was that was the main thing for them. Anyway, having sent that message late at night on Tuesday, um, a couple of days later, I still feel the same. So, Lars, have you ever seen twenty more seconds of vivid Champions League action than <laughs> that bit? Well, I. I have to say, Andy, I've, I've watched a lot of Champions League football. I don't. I've been going back in my mind. I, I don't think I remember seeing a team concede a penalty and have not one, but both of their centre halves sent off 
in the same movement. I, that is a new one for me, I have to say. The, the product of the new rule to a certain extent, yes, which absolutely. means that, that the referee can play the advantage, yeah. which, uh, which is sensible. Your, your hero in the middle did very well, James. Yeah, I mean, Gianluca Rocchi, no reproach from me. I just think, you know, <laughs> outstanding refereeing performance. I think he'll be commended uh, when he has his, you know, UEFA debrief um, this week. So, up to you, Rocky. No Rocky Horror Show this time. I'm not so sure the Ajax players feel that way. Would you Would you say that to do Santagis's face? Not in, in the, a mix zone. In the mix zone, afterwards. you could you could feel the anger coming out of the speakers where, where where I was doing the Champions League radio show. They just cut a little bit of him speaking after the the the, the match, and he just he couldn't compute. He couldn't get his head around it, which I can completely understand. I mean, if you go backwards. Even though it's a crazy spell, as you say, the referee didn't really do much wrong. Okay, I think there's maybe a discussion on where, where the current handball rule is, for for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's not go there. Then no one let's knows. Not. <laughs> I mean, it's so vague; it can mean anything if you look at the wording of it. It's daft. Yeah, it is. And we'll leave it there. It is totally. <laughs> <laughs> let's leave it there. Although the, the the best bit was, of course. Ajax continuing to push for a winner with nine men well, at 4-4. Again, in the category of things I've never seen before, I don't think I've seen a team with nine men away at, to be fair, one of the bigger clubs in Europe keep pushing for something even without having the numbers to do so, anything. this ended up being kind of a theme of the match day, I felt. Yes. Because just as when, for example, City had to put Carl Walker in goal <laughs> and there were essentially 10 minutes for Atlanta to shoot at him, and City, very maturely, basically kept the ball up the pitch, played it in Atlanta's corner flag, and Atlanta were unable to essentially ex- take advantage of that quote-unquote vulnerability uh, because mm. we all know that Walker having made more saves than Edison and, and Claudio Bravo in that game <laughs> will now be starting against Liverpool at the weekend. But there, there, there are clubs that played David James up front. I mean, come on. <laughs> But this, Andy, I think was the most chaotic uh, Champions League match day that I can remember. I mean, Same. you opened with that question to last about 20 seconds where just everything changes um, before your eyes. You could say the same about the Dinamo Zagreb Shakhtar game as yeah. well. Stoppage time in that where Zagreb are 3-1 up. They think they've won the game and all of a sudden they're going in down the tunnel and it's 3-3. I mean, some, would, some would say it's the story of Andrei Piatov's footballing life <laughs> that um, he, he makes a horrendous error and somehow covers it up with uh, an eye-catching highlight mm. as he did by winning that penalty right at the end. <laughs> Got boshed in the head. Yeah, yeah he did by uh, Cardiff legend uh, Kevin teofield Catherine. <laughs> but uh, the, the thing about that is, um, obviously I know you know your Cardiff, Lars. We'll, we'll, we'll come to that in a, in, in a minute from the Ole years. Mm-hmm. But As long as the league... The glo- the glory it, it gets passed by the lawyers, we'll have to see. The, the, glory, <laughs> the glory days of Cardiff FC, I like to think. <laughs> exactly. But even when you, when you wind that back and when you unpick it all... The fact is that Dinamo played a, a really good game mm. and they were in the third minute of stoppage time, 3-1 up, and they managed to go off the pitch with a draw. Now, I still got, think they've got a chance of qualifying if you look at the group. The fact that City... Now, Atlanta will go through, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is, this is the thing. I mean, ultimately, Shakhtar have kept that group open um, yes. because when Carl Walker was pulling his gloves on, Zagreb, that's when they kind of... We're three one up, and you mm, felt yes. right. This 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 group, in some respects, is almost done because City uh, are on ten points. Zagreb, I think, would have been on seven. 
um, had they had they held on to win that game. I mean, James, is is, is the difficulty for for Shakhtar that Manchester City drew that game? Because mm. to, to to me, that the fact that City have to go and get a point off Shakhtar now makes it a heck of a lot more complicated. Yeah, I think so. But also, you've got to take your hat off to to Shakhtar because again, they have essentially got a result in stoppage time. Um, they did that at San Siro against Atalanta. Um, and they should have lost that game as well, exactly. shouldn't they? Exactly. That was the one game that Atalanta have regrets about. Um, you know, a lot of people will, will be scratching their heads when they recall the, the result away at City, but that can happen when you go and play City. That mm. you, get, you get thrashed. Um, but, yeah, this is a team that keeps believing. It's a ma- the manager who's replaced Paolo Fonseca has shown himself very able to affect games from the bench and make substitutions that have impacts that, you know, at the moment, you know, Shakhtar are on level on points with Zagreb. They've both shared the spoils in in this double header. Just goes to show, it's, it's all timing really, isn't it? I mean, Luis Castro in a, in a different life could have ended up at Reading. Yeah. Goodness, goodness knows where he'd be now. Uh, but but <laughs> <In> yeah, <Reading. laughs> yeah, but, that's true. But the Piotr thing, it's baffling to me that still, that he still has a gig at a pretty reputable <laughs> year. Because I was I was at Stamford Bridge in 2012 when a very, very good Shakhtar team uh, with Luchescu as the manager. I was there as well. Yeah, it was a great night. And like with William and Fernandinho and Teixeira and, and Serna still mm. close to his pump, that was an extraordinary Shakhtar team who at times played Chelsea off the pitch. But like Piotr threw in two goals, mm. like the most biz- terrible mistakes and Luchescu just throwing him under all the buses in the presser afterwards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not even attempting to defend his goalkeeper. It does like, surprise we all, me. He said something like, we all saw what happened out there. Or something. Yeah. It was a complete takedown of his own goalkeeper. Yeah, they recruit so well in Brazil. <laughs> and, and yet they've still got Piatov in goal. I, I want to see them have a Brazilian goalkeeper. Maybe maybe, maybe I mean, that's the thing. Maybe he's the chair of the acclimatization committee or, or, or something like that. But even, just, even that... It's just a wild mistake, but it's just basic errors. If you look, I think it was the second Dynamo goal, just freeze it just as the cross is about to come in. It's the third. It's where Danny, third, yeah. Danny almost sets it up for a Damien at the look, far post. Just, check, just freeze it just as the point of the... If you go on the internet and find the highlights, freeze it at the point when the cross is about to come the in. The official highlights. The, Piotr's positioning is outlandish. Like, how can a goalkeeper who's played the game for more than like twenty minutes decide that this is where I want to stand when there's a cross coming? In? Well, I have I'm to awful thank you, Lars. Maverick goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> I have to thank you, Lars. Already, you've uh, proven your value to the OTC family by explaining something for me that I couldn't get my head around. I, I think as as soon as I came off air last night, I went back and looked. And I thought, how is it possible to dive over the cross like that? And the but, positioning but is... Yeah, there you go. You've pointed it out to me. Because <laughs> I think the thing is, when the ball comes to the back post, I said at the time, it's the easiest goal Adami will ever score because he's a yard out. But he's so surprised the ball's come to He nearly missed it. <laughs> well, yeah. It hit the inside of the There's post no on the way, way in, didn't it? Like you could, uh, yeah. If, if you have an adult human... In goal, there's just no way that ball should end up there. <laughs> but you know, let's uh, talking of things that shouldn't happen. Let's go back to to Chelsea Ajax, and I, I guess for for a lot of the game, the, the whole craziness obscured the fact that this was another sterling Ajax performance on mm. the road in Europe, and that is the thing that's made them into the team they are. It's what's made them in the Champions League in the last year or so. And it all starts when they get that draw at Bayern Munich and they play Bayern off the park for quite a lot of that game. Now that fragilises Bayern to a certain extent 
And it also and, and makes other teams think that they can go there and actually play Bayern on their own terms or closer to them rather than just staying on their own heart, in their own half and waiting to get beaten. Um, but I, I know some of the form in Amsterdam has been quite samey, hasn't it? If, if you look at, well, what eventually happened to them against Spurs last season. Um, but you look at the, the key performances over the last year, Valencia this season, Chelsea this as well, I suppose you can say to an extent, and then Spurs... Uh, Bayern, as we said, uh, Real Madrid, Juventus, exactly. And quite apart from the Bayern Munich connection he already has from coaching the second team, now Niko Kovac has gone. This must be one of the main reasons why Bayern are interested or should be interested in Eric Ten Hag. Oh, undoubtedly. He ruled himself out before this game. Um, For the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be curious, though, and... You know, we'll get to this uh, later in the show. What Bayern do? Because you know, with Hansi Flick winning his first game in charge, we've got Dortmund coming up. I think if he convinces them over the next three or four days that he is a steady hand on the tiller, then maybe they'll give him the job until the end of the season, and they can mm. review and assess then. Well, but- he was kind of appointed with that in mind because he wasn't Kovac's pick, was he? He was appointed in July, Hansi Flick. Here you go. Here's a little bit of help for you. I mean, you. that is a bit of a weird thing if you're the manager of a club and a number two is brought in who wasn't your pick, who has himself been a number one in the past. To, to, to that is something. Even it's if almost like even if he was Matteo at Chelsea. It's one of those things that would worry you a little bit. Wasn't <laughs> See, it? I was I was thinking Venables at Borough. Nice, <laughs> but yeah, same yeah, same. Tomato, point. tomato. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, if, again, you just put this this game into context from from an Ajax point of view before. That crazy incident with the with the double red red cards, to go to go to Chelsea and score on them in the way that they did, with that wonderful training ground routine of of Ziyech, um playing it off Kepa's face, um, and, and scoring that way, uh, a, a, a kind of trademark Ajax goal, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. You know, one that you used to see in the seventies. <laughs> totally uh, a life size model of Kepa on the training ground, in sort of mid flight, so they yeah. can work on that angle and just get it straight on the noggin. That, that is the kind of marginal gains yeah. that uh, that, that Ajax and Eric Ten Hag go for, which is why Bayern are obviously <laughs> so interested in him. Um, but I, I suppose again with with Ten Hag, uh, Andy, I mean, there might be other jobs. Uh, elite jobs available in the summer, um, and, and and teams that you know have borrowed uh, the tenets of, of of Ajax football and basically made them their own. I'm saying Barcelona, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. might look at him and think, actually, you're the right guy to come and make the most of Frankie De Jong, the players that we've we've uh, acquired over the last few years. Yeah, um, because this, I think, you often judge teams by how well they perform away from home in Europe. And they're, they're, it's certainly a way of um, appealing or, or getting foreign media on side as well. Mm. Uh, when, when you think this this guy and this this team and this coach is, are, are really good, because if, if you're going to Turin and you, you stun the fans there, if you go to uh, Real Madrid and you stun the fans there, if you go to Chelsea and you stun the fans there, it is a hell of endorsement uh, mm. for your yeah, coaching credo and your coaching ideas if you keep going that. Lars, where does this sit in light of Bayern's not yet admitted, or at least not yet publicly admitted, interest in Arsene Wenger? How do you see Wenger fitting into to this? Well, as an elder statesman till the end of the season, surely, because we, we mentioned Ten Hag, who might be 
you know, it'd be a surprise to see him move from Ajax in the middle of the season. Is, but, isn't but he going to want one of maybe next summer? And isn't the, he going to want the job for longer though? Twenty-five years. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's possible. I'm just saying, from my uh, Bayern's perspective, yes, the th- logical thing for them is to bring in someone until the summer. You mentioned Ten Hag, but also Thomas Tuchel might be on the market there. He's been admired yes. admired by the Bayern hierarchy for a long time, and he's at PSG. You never know what happens there. It's one of those clubs where, you know, you, there's a shelf life to managers, and it's not very long. <laughs> I mean, um, Bayern went out in the round of 16 last season. In many respects, it would be perfect for Wenger to come in. I mean, he could repeat <laughs> the same result. And he, he, well, has, he can't he go has, out to Bayern, though. Wenger, Wenger has, in fairness, overseen some of Bayern's biggest recent wins. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, I mean, there could be something there. No, no, listen, I think it makes sense. I think, obviously, if you look at the recent... I mean, I, I keep using this quote, but I thought he was quite cute. My my, my compatriot, Jan Ogifjertoft, mentioned on Twitter that the only three people in the world who seem able to manage Bayern Munich is, is Otmar Hitzfeld, who's 70, uh, Jupp Heynckes, who's 74, and Udo Latek, who's dead. Um, and and, and this, this sort of uh, idea that uh, you, it's almost like an elder statesman character is what you need to have to succeed at Bayern. Because mm. there's just so much going on there. It's a club with so many strong voices in the dressing room, upstairs, all around it. So you need to be just an ace diplomat as much as you need to be a good coach to, to make it work. And, funny, and, and really. That's not necessarily a young man's game. Funny, but, really, in the circumstances that Jose Mourinho has, has yeah, a bit of Although be, he uh, was top of the betting market for quite a long time. Just like putting a mento into the Diet Coke bottle and just see what happens. <laughs> I mean, it would be fun, but maybe you wouldn't want to be the one to clean up afterwards. James, the question I would ask with Wenger, it looks impressive. And I think especially for... dare I say, people outside the UK, it looks impressive. It looks a very safe pair of hands. He's not a guy who did a lot of coaching in his last years at Arsenal. Now, the points in recent times when the Bayern players have revolted, not just when they lost 5-1 to Frankfurt last weekend, is when they don't feel that they've had that sort of specialist attention. Now, I don't know if that's hung up, hangover from Guardiola and his mm. incredible attention to detail. And the fact that, you know, the, the Champions League thing, him not winning it there, is a bit of a red herring. He lifted their football to a level that they've never, ever seen there. He changed the game. Now, ever since, the players have been Ancelotti. He's not hands-on enough. Niko Kovac, he hasn't got enough of identity. Where would that leave... Wenger after, I don't know, three months in the job? Well, I think in many respects, given the reaction to Kovac and his coaching and the criticism of it, that he didn't have a sophisticated enough idea that when it came to everyday training sessions, just the, I think there is still that contrast with what the players experienced under Guardiola. And we're talking about the senior players who are still there, the most influential players within that group, thinking we deserve better than this. Uh, I think that is a problem and would remain a problem were Wenger to to get this job. Um, Manuel Neuer, I think, gave an interview in France Football only a couple of weeks ago, which was seen as side-eye, I suppose, um, at Niko Kovac, where he was basically saying, you know, when when we play a pass, every pass needs to have a message. You need to transmit something when you play this ball to your teammate so he knows what the idea is behind this pass and what we're trying to achieve. As though, you know, ultimately, a lot of the passing under Niko Kovac was sterile and aimless. Um, Now, yeah, I think 
Wenger was cutting edge at the vanguard at the very beginning of his his career in England at Arsenal. In fact, in many respects, as we've we've all discussed in the in in the past, he brought English football into the twenty first century in, in in many respects. But when it came to embracing ideas that are now kind of commonplace mm. in European football, even something as the amount of time spent on video analysis, breaking games down in detail and giving your uh, players the most information uh, possible, really, when it comes to, right, you're going to be playing against this right winger. He likes to come inside on his left. These are his tendencies. This is how you'll deal with it. I think that's what buying players were used to under Pep and have since found to be lacking in every coach that has followed him. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So fast forward to this weekend, the Classica, at the Allianz Arena between uh, Bayern and, and, and Dortmund. Um, Dortmund have had a few nightmares there in recent years, Lars. Mm-hmm. But having faced this very difficult mini spell, which a lot of people thought could define their season, home to Gladbach in the Pokal, home to hitherto unbeaten Wolfsburg mm-hmm. in the Bundesliga, then the game against Inter in the Champions League, the return, and now the Classica. 
they're in much better shape than a lot of Lucian Favre's critics thought they might be coming into this game. They really are, and I think um, in particular the way they turned it around against Inter was it was interesting because it wasn't some big tactical shift or anything at half time. Like they just went out and were better, <laughs> and then they just uh, did everything quicker with more intensity, and Inter just couldn't live with it. So is and is is that a good thing or a bad thing if you're Luci- well, uh, Lucian me, Favre? I, th- I mean, obviously, if you're if you're winning, generally, it's a good thing for for a coach, but. Do we see the coach's touch on that is my question. Well, I would interpret that as a positive because it shows that it's all there in the squad. Like major Mm. surgery isn't needed. Major change in methodology isn't necessarily needed. But I guess the criticism of Favre was in the springtime that he wasn't the sort of strong leader and they felt they needed when things were drifting and Ajax and and Bayern were catching up with them. That's why they wanted Jose Mourinho. They were kind of, well, (laughs) well, but, but... because you know we, we talked about this like they, they they were ahead but then Bayern were coming behind them like sort of zombies that that just wouldn't stop and they kept like dropping points and it was all really bad and and Favre being a sort of bit of a schoolmasterly sort of t- t- type man uh, didn't you know shout and scream and jump around in the dressing room to, to so shake, what you're, what you're saying to, to kind of uh, elaborate on this walking dead <laughs> is, 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 is they needed a kind of Negan and a Lucille in order to kind of just beat them into shape literally <laughs> that might be true James <laughs> Uh, what, what I'm saying is it's interesting now you're coming from where I'm coming from when mm-hmm. no one gets your references no. <laughs> okay. that might be true I'm just saying the fact that they turned it around the way they did and that he was able to get that out of them is a very positive because that is exactly the type of reaction that I think he was accused of not getting from them in the past I guess that's my question is is he getting it out of them I think the f- funny thing about those past three games is they've not exactly flirted with disaster in them, but cer- certainly in that first game against Gladbach, you know, they were going into the last quarter of the game, a goal down to the league leaders in, in, in the Pokal. And if they'd have held on there, Gladbach, everything looks very different. Of course, sliding doors. But they weren't very good for the first half against Wolfsburg either. A lot went wrong in the first half against Inter, who looked mm. much as they'd looked at at Camp Nou, very well-oiled, and efficient and all the rest of it. So I just wonder, is there an argument that is the players playing off memory rather than any plan? Because we know there's so much talent in the squad, but we also know that players like Torgan Hazard and Julian Brandt can have a few little moments and change things up. And that's the sort of quality they've got. I mean, I know you had a very close eye on this game on Tuesday night between Dortmund and Inter. I, I guess because of Chelsea Ajax, you're probably the only person in the UK watching it, a large <laughs> parts of that. But what did you make of the Dortmund side of it? So I thought the defending was terrible in the first half. Um, to get beaten with just a simple ball over the top, um, a kanji body shape all over the place, Hummels gets done and you expect more I think from a senior player like Hummels in that situation second goal I think it's just a brilliant inter-team move uh, the kind that undid Barcelona as well uh, Barcelona who to be fair no great shakes in defence these days either but I think second half the comments made by Inter and the players afterwards was that Dortmund played the ball quicker they were more intense, as Lars was talking to. And Inter have this habit of fading in the second halves of games. And Conte, after the match, complained that I'm always playing the same players. They're knackered. 
we can't sustain the kind of performances that we've been putting in first half or first hour against Barcelona, first half here in Dortmund. That allowed Dortmund to come back into the into the game. I also just think that Dortmund found the dope in the inter-team on Tuesday night, and that was Cristiano Biraghi. And all they did was just keep giving the ball to um, Akimi. Mm. Um, and over and over and over again, he got in on that uh, into left-hand side. He ended up scoring twice on the night. He's Dortmund's top scorer uh, in in the Champions League. Best fantasy league pick ever. <laughs> <laughs> and then Andy, there's just the simple fact that maybe Diego Godin, as we would discuss this time last year, isn't the Diego Godin of... 2010, 2012 vintage. Because well, they've kind of used that back three to almost paper over the cracks and, mm. and, and hide some of the ways in, in which he could be exposed. But that didn't work in the second half there, did it? No, I mean, ultimately, I think one of the disappointing things for Inter's players and for Conte is that the second goal comes from a throw-in. Um, yeah. And and Goodin gets beaten by Brandt. Um, and it was one of those kind of schoolboy mistakes that you don't expect from, I'd say, a veteran player who's won what he's won, like Diego Godin. You certainly don't expect it from an Antonio Conte drilled inter side. Um, and this is an inter team that, while they've conceded um, lots of goals in in the Champions League um, and you know have also in, in City have been on the end of a a 4-3 win against Sassuolo. Again, second half really faded in that game. Uh, they do defend very well. You know, if you think of their advanced metrics, XG against shots allowed, um, yeah, they're top of Serie A. That defence is a very good defence. Mm. Um, but I think combination of fading second half mistakes and Dortmund just playing at a pace, which I think Inter found it very difficult to live with, particularly when Brozovic... Um, the guy who basically gets their possession game going and is able to help them keep the ball and take the sting out of, of, of teams that play at pace by moving it around them. He really dipped and has, yeah, I think has only missed 15 minutes of football so far this season. That all played into, into Dortmund's hands. And this was a the theme of the night when it came to analysing the Italian performances because Alejandro Gomez, um, after the Man City Atlanta game, said, look, and this was seen as a real indictment of Serie A. They're like, well, you know, why have you only got one point after four games? It's like, well, teams in Europe just play so much faster than teams in Serie A. Mm-hmm. Well, so much faster. That's interesting. Well, well, we'll come back to the Antonio Conte part of that because I, I know you're jumping at the bit <laughs> to have a word at that. But before we do, Lars, where do you think this leaves Dortmund for De Classica? Can they put some of those Bavarian nightmares to bed? I, I think they can. I think it's very good to have this sort of moment when they're, you say they were flirting with disaster. I mean, going 2-0 down to to an Antonio Conte managed Inter, I think, is more heavy petting with disaster. I think you've gone you've gone slightly <laughs> further ahead there. And the fact that they were then able to turn it around and really like show what they could do in the second half gives you that bit of a moral boost. And you're coming off two wins domestically as well. You know Bayern are not in a good place. I mean, there's no reason why they should be completely sort of traumatised by the ghosts of, of defeats past in that classic era. I think they should have every chance. A bit of a tight hamstring for Jaden Sancho. We saw him go off in that game. But they've shown in recent weeks, haven't they, that, that they, they've actually the players to, to do okay without him. 
Yeah, no, they do. I mean, the, those that sort of three behind the striker, they have a they have a couple of issue, uh, issues. I mean, they have a couple of options this season, which is a bit too many. Positive. Some might say some some might say, and some of the ones who end up on the bench a lot this season might be amongst those saying it. But it does uh, it does leave them capable of handling that sort of thing. I was keeping a, an eye on on Bayern. Uh, last night, and they were playing Olympiacos, so it's always mm. going to be that sort of game. But they looked no less anemic in in uh, in her flicks first game in charge there. I mean, there was a lot of sort of passes that weren't transmitting any messages at all. And I know it's a tough gig playing a deep Olympiacos at home and stuff, but there was no immediate improvement there. So, uh, I, yeah, interesting. The Clásica should be good. Talking talking of dated references, it never ceases to amaze me that despite not having grown up in the UK, you can reference a lower that, That's one. Well, we had that show in Wow, Norway. absolutely. Fantastic, um, Antonio Conte. He's going Conte again, isn't he? <laughs> well, he's been going Conte pretty much since day one at Inter. Now you're talking about his post-match interview. I am on Sky Italia, where he basically invited out the entire board of Inter. <laughs> <laughs> where he said, "Yeah, you know, it'd be great if basically one of the you know, the chief executive or the sporting director could basically come and talk to the media instead of me because I'm sick of basically saying the same thing. Uh, and we're sick of hearing it, I must say, which is Conte complaining that he's always playing the same team uh, and he needs more players. Uh, he needs him to spend more money. Um, and he was very dissatisfied with ultimately how they went about their business in, in the summer, uh, even though they broke their transfer record twice. I've paid 75 million for Romelu Lukaku, the player that he absolutely wanted and wouldn't compromise on. You have to get me Lukaku. They did end up getting that deal done. Barella as well, who, who will cost them upwards of 49 million. Mm. Wow. Um, they signed, uh, I think, nine players in all, so almost a completely new team. And yet uh, Conte still feels that they could have done more, even in a financial fair play world, um, which I think is staggering when Inter have tried to do everything they possibly can to make Antonio Conte happy. Um, yeah, it, In some respects, you can compare it with what City did for Guardiola in preparing the way for him mm. in that they appointed uh, the chief executive a sporting director. Or the management uh, that, structure that he wanted. The management structure that he wanted in bringing Beppe Madotta, um, who was a free agent at the time, over to basically run things at Inter. And I must say, Madotta knows Conte very well, but even this must be trying his patience um, because he just... I, I wonder how the players react to this as well. What, like, are you saying we're shit? Well, it, it's it's not only that. It's It's, for example, saying... You know, Goodin's the only one who's who's actually won anything of the players that we've got. So, you know, this expectation that, you know, we should be competing to to to, to take over from Juventus in the league and do something in the Champions League. Just is, to clarify, is, is James, off. there's there's no sense that he wasn't involved in picking the players. They're all his picks as well. Well, I think there's a sense that Goodin was already uh incoming. Yes. Um, because that was a deal done essentially last January. When Spalletti was was still in charge, he'd just been given a new contract, and the Icardi thing had yet to, to really kind of explode in uh, in Inter's faces. Um, but certainly, Lukaku was a player that that he absolutely wanted. Uh, I would say that Sensi and Barella, who he again name checked and said, "Yeah, we've signed players from Cagliari and Sassuolo." I mean. What do you expect? You, do you expect Jeez. them to basically they've, they've turn into very match? good? Yeah, and they, and they've been brilliant. Particularly Sensi, who unfortunately has been out injured, came on late in this game, uh, his first appearance since um, uh, since before the international break. 
James, speaking of Cagliari and Sassuolo, I saw you float a little something on Twitter. <laughs> if only they had Raja for moments like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, again, now this kind of briefing and counter-briefing going on as to who was behind Reginald Ingolan basically being pushed out the door by Inter. Yes. Now, there's been this sense that it's always been kind of Conte-driven because Nainggolan, when he was at Cagliari, when he was at Roma, particularly when he was at Roma, he always said, I'll never go to Juventus. They're the dark side. Can't stand them. And Conte, I think, always seemed to take that quite personally, right? I don't want that kind of character in my team. Okay. But over the last 24 hours since he's made these comments, there is a sense that oh, maybe he wasn't the one really pushing Radger out. Maybe that was led by the people above him who had experience of what went on last year when Conte wasn't there um, at the club. Um, I still think that knowing what we know about Conte from his time at Juventus, particularly from his time with Chelsea, how he handled Diego Costa, for example, I think he would have basically nodded his head in approval if Marotta Auxilio came to him and said, right, we need to get rid of Icardi, Nainggolan and Perisic. Mm. Um, but certainly, I think, you know, one of the things that he has done is he's sacrificed depth for culture, ultimately, mm. in, t- in terms of like, okay, those three guys have been very good players, but I want everyone to come in here, you know, be on the same page as I am, and anyone who's not, we need to get rid of them. And they've got rid of three very good players. Icardi scored again, in, in match day four in the Champions League. Perisic came on and scored for Bayern Munich. Mm. Nyingaland's got Cagliari um, off to their best start since they last won the league. And, you know, again, you, you wonder what um, what the strategy... It's not so much wonder what the strategy is here, but yet you, you look at Conte and say, well, you, know, you made your bed, ultimately, and you've got to lie on it. And I, I still don't think that the club could have done any more to satisfy this manager. I don't really see the point in complaining about it now, beginning of November, when the January transfer window doesn't open for a couple of months. Um, you know, and ultimately, there are other teams in City A who've got far worse injury crisis than Inter. You think of Roma, for example, mm. who are effectively having to play Gianluca Mancini, a centre-back in midfield, because every other midfielder, apart from Jordan Veritu, is injured. And they're on a on a very good run and have, have actually come together in adversity. Inter are getting results, putting in some decent performances as they were the other night. And yet, you know, Conte is so high maintenance. Oh my God. I mean, it, <laughs> it, must, it must be wearing, even for Marotta, who knows him inside out. It's just like, oh, come on, man. Just, yeah, we, you, you've said all this. We're aware of it. We'll meet, we'll discuss, but please just... You know, I mean, because none of the players said any of this in, in after the game. They were like, we were immature or, you know, we lost our shape. Um, uh, we had lapses in concentration. And ultimately in these games, you get punished that way. So they had very technical uh, responses to, 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 to why it went awry on, on Tuesday night. I mean, Conte in, in, has just deflected from all of that. Or, or, I mean, Conte tried, rather than deflect, he tried to basically bring the spotlight on him in terms of, wasn't my game plan good because Fabio Capello, who's a pundit in the Sky Italia studio, basically said, Antonio, your game plan for this was excellent. Um, you prepared for it really well. And Conte was like, well, that mister is why I'm so pissed off. <laughs> because if, 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 I had, if I had the players, basically to, the squad basically to sustain what we did in the first half, we would have won this game. Can we have a little bit more sympathy with 
Carlo Ancelotti and his current travails after the duel ah. with uh, Salzburg? I mean, I think if if you're in a if you're the coach and the president orders them into Retiro and you don't think that's the way to go to to, exp- to explain that's them all going and living at the training ground and having a mini sort of boot camp it's a rather than being allowed to go home uh, to yeah. go on a retreat basically to seclude themselves retreat you see you make it sound yes, so see, much that more makes nice more than sense him to go yeah well it's to seclude them from the family and distractions or whatever which is is not an uncommon thing for teams in Italy to do when they're having a bad time as and. Um, and, and you got to remember, Ancelotti said even before the, the mini rebellion this week that he was against it, right? So he, yeah. he set himself against the president. I mean, Lars, he got some big signings in the summer, including Irving Lozano, who scored that equaliser. And you've, you've, got to, you've got to look at um, uh, Manolas as, as, as well. Has he done as well with the team as you would have expected him to do? I thought he did better last season than I had fully expected him to do because I think no, every, but this season, but, no, but in just in general, my, my, but I think let, you know one thing matters to the assessment of the other, uh, in my view, a little mm. bit because I think everyone in inverted commas were expecting a significant regression at Sari's departure because there was always this sense, even though Napoli were a wonderful team under Sari, but it was all sort of the Sari ball making them more than the sum of their parts. The, it kind of makes the, more the Sarismo. It kind of <laughs> makes more sense in a Champions League context. Yeah. Or, or at least it, it, it did in the first bit of, of last season. Because I've, I've said this before, but in the first five games of that group, and it was a bloody difficult group with Liverpool, um, with Trevena Svezda, who were better than people thought they would be, especially at home, and Paris Saint-Germain. They were the best team in that group for the first five games, and yep. then it all just went out the window at Anfield on... Well, if Anderson doesn't make that save from Milik as well, you know. A, a save that, because of the context of the save, has been made into one of the best saves of all time, when it's actually quite a routine save. <laughs> But my point would be that actually in the Champions League they're fine, right? If you look at the group, yeah, that, that's that's not the problem. The problem is, the problem is that they were eleven points behind the league in the the title in the league, which is not where you want to be in precisely. November. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there, last because Ancelotti going into the season said seconds no longer enough. Mm. We have to either win the title or win something, um, and they've been very disappointing um, so far this season. Um, I think the issue now is. Can they actually turn this around? Um, Not in terms of getting back into the title race because they're already out of it and the way Juventus and Inter are going, they're not going to allow Napoli back in. In terms of not being scrabbling for a Champions League place in the last weeks of the season? I think there's that. But I also think, can this relationship um, between uh, the players and the president, the coach and the president, can it survive between now and the end of the season? Well, it always seemed a kind of unusual union, didn't it, between De Laurentiis and Angelotti? It did, although De Laurentiis has this kind of showman flair where whenever it comes to needing to replace a manager and you wonder, for example, when it became clear that Sarri was going to leave, I thought, it's going to be complicated for Napoli now mm. to find someone as good, if not better, and De Laurentiis goes and gets Ancelotti, just as when Mazzari, for example, left and put together that first very good Napoli team with Cavani, Hamsik and, um, and Lavezzi. Would he have come without the cuisine? <laughs> <laughs> There's that. But when it came to replacing Mazzari, he got Benitez. Benitez mm. was a Champions League winning manager um, who was able to attract the likes of Higuain, Albiol, Callejon, who would become such a big part 
of that post-Cavani team. So De Laurentiis has always done a really good job of replacing their top players and replacing their top managers. I think now it's going to be really difficult because essentially, you look at the statement that Napoli put out after the mutiny, as kind of a warning there that the club will do everything to protect its economic, its image rights, its assets, essentially, which was almost seen as a there could be some kind of legal action taken here for the players going on mutiny and breaking the Retiro. Ancelotti went back to the training ground after um, the game against Salzburg, uh, kind of following protocol, I I think. Uh, But then you look at the statement that Napoli put out again, and it's like, well, we'll leave this in your hands now. So, Carlo, you can decide whether the team has to stay in Retiro or, or resume its Retiro or, or break it. And uh, and again, they're inviting him to again go against the president, which I think is, is tense. The announcer taking it in turns to tell off the home fans and the away fans for Pyro. Just the smell of smoke. And the sight smoke all over the pitch. I think we're going to stop the game for a second. Before we totally ditch the manager chat, I just did want to have a, a, a little word for one of your, your pet subjects, uh, Rudy Garcia, James. <laughs> um, I mean, I know, Lars, you were particularly taken with Rudy Garcia, who's had, a, shall we say, a difficult adaptation at, at Leon, given that the fans almost unanimously hate him. Cer- <laughs> certainly the angry ones online and in the stands. And he took it a, a level up. Now, beating Benfica, in the Champions League this week um, at Group Armour is absolutely what they needed to do. It puts them back in control of, of of qualification. And also, it's only the second game they've ever won in that stadium at the Champions League, which I, I think is not something to be sniffed at after six successive draws. Yet, Garcia managed to find a way still to poison the well a little bit because when it was 3-1... Poison the well, then. When it he was, was in, inserting himself in an entirely legitimate manner. There we go. There we go. That, that's the sort of clarity that, uh, that, that, that you bring to the party. Now, oh, yeah. uh, th- tell, us, tell us what happened with the substitution he made in stoppage time to, in inverted commas, as Rudy Garcia said, close the game out. <laughs> because um, I don't know if you've mentioned this on the continent before, but there's been a bit of a set-to between the defender, Marcelo, and the Lyon fans. They we, had we've bit, not mentioned it. No, they had a, a, harsh words were exchanged. There was a bit of a bust-up between them, I believe at the airport in Lisbon after the first Benfica game, right? Yeah. And uh, since then, he's been very much a target of the ultras who've been abusing him and his family and all this sort of stuff so to the point where it was felt that maybe he shouldn't be playing at the moment because it's a lot of bad atmosphere. And I thought it was then quite magnificent from Rudy Garcia, who's another guy who's not very popular at Lyon in spite of being in charge of Lyon. Uh, when this game was essentially won, they were in, when they were in a really comfortable position, they were 3-1, 3-1 up, one minute in injury time, just to close out the game, as you say, you bring on Marcello, <laughs> just to basically show the ultras that I'll, I'll play this guy even if you hate him and it's fine that you hate him and it's fine that you hate me as well because that's just where we're at yeah and it's, it's interesting because it is 
Garcia, despite the fact that he said he just wanted to close the game out with a more defensive player. <laughs> this is the uh, Marcelo's wife was on Instagram uh, to have a little word about what had happened because some fans sung some not very nice stuff about him at Toulouse at the weekend when they, they won that game. And um, this is, oh, well, we, we have to give applause to, to, to Mrs. M for this. It says, um, the, the, the club is, is now going to take sides. But I can guarantee you one thing. If you don't stop this, and she addressed this at one particularly abusive ultra, it's me that will take sides. And I've got two things. I've got time and I've got money. <laughs> if, there, if, there are, if there are players that will accept this situation, we are not with those sort of, we are not like those sort of players. And I warn you, I'm not going to be frightened by a man, even less so by a man who thinks He's brave, surrounded by his friends. And if you try and threaten me at the stadium in front of my children, you're going to find out. Okay. Lady <laughs> M, undisputed MVP of the week. Yes. For me. That is Abs- fantastic. Absolutely. But in tandem with Rudy, because of course, uh, the, the thing that really topped it off for Leon fans, if they'd have brought on 16-year-old Ryan Shirky instead... And- why wouldn't you? There's like a minute left and you've Fine. won the game. He would have been the youngest player in Champions League history. And as the darling of the stadium, I mean, Rudy's done a nice little one-two there, isn't he? <laughs> it's the fact that he does it in injury time. Like, if you do it when it's 15 minutes left, there is a legitimate argument to be made that it's a smart call. But when you're doing it with two minutes left, you're just giving the fans the finger, right? And, yeah, and rightly so. Yeah, absolutely. You know who could do with some of this coaching magic at the moment, arguably, Lars, is, is Barcelona. I mean... <laughs> You look at the, you look at the current state of them. You know they they didn't lose this week. We can say that against Slavia Prague, but they're top of the group in the Champions League. And this isn't even talking about the context of where they are in La Liga. They've been lucky, just as they were in the first, I guess, quarter third of last season when other teams tripping up allowed them to stay in the title race. But they're top of that group after four games. You could feasibly argue that they could have lost all four of those games, couldn't you? Yeah, they haven't been good. Mm. And I think not being good against Prague in particular is slightly worrying. God bless Prague, and they've done tremendously. And I mean, yeah, brilliant, been, brilliant at San Siro. Yeah, Inter the, on, but there's always the been this game. thing about Valverde, like he's been getting so much stick, but he's been getting more stick from inverted commas, the international Barcelona fans. It's been the internet fans who've really been on his back yes. right for a long time. But then now you're seeing performances. Mm. And some results that make you think actually maybe the internet fans were onto something with, uh, <laughs> and they're just looking you know what they're increasingly looking like Argentina as in they're a team who have Messi but don't quite know what to do aside from giving him the ball and that is always a danger when you have a player who's that good like you have to really make sure you have a good structure in the team so they don't just default to that well, there's obviously the temptation if you're in a team with Messi in it to just get him the ball right mm. yeah. but then at, when you start doing that all the time you're not a team anymore yeah and there's this paranoia and there's been a paranoia for a long time about wasting his prime years in the short term does the Luis Suarez injury that he picked up last weekend in the defeat at Levante, which shows that they haven't really sorted out their, their away form um, definitively. Does that maybe do them a bit of a favour? Because with Suarez out of the picture, okay, they played against Slavia with um, uh, Dembele, Messi and Griezmann. Didn't really work. Could you argue in the first bit of Valverde's spell where he turned around expectations, he brought in 4-4-2 and with all the political stuff going on 
in Barcelona and Catalonia generally that almost slipped under the radar he could get on with his job <laughs> from from the off with, with, Paulinho. with everyone talking yeah with everyone talking about all that other stuff and they played 4-4-2 didn't they 4-4-2 I don't think that suits Messi and Griezmann that badly what do you reckon? That, Maybe, does it work for mm, Griezmann? No, no. I'm not, not convinced it does, but I think the injury gives... I realise Messi's not Olivier Giroud. No, well, no, this is the thing. But, but I also think it gives him a clear run at at playing the, the Griezmann, Dembele, Messi front three for a couple of games without having to think about how Suarez feels about that. And I think that mm. could be a useful thing for him now going forward. It reminded me of watching Paris Saint-Germain in the Ibrahimovic-Cavani days. <laughs> <laughs> no, in that Ibrahimovic had opportunities to pass to Cavani and elected not to. And watching the Slavi game with Griezmann often in very good positions and Messi, look, you're back Messi because he can <laughs> score practically any kind of goal from anywhere on the pitch. Mm. But when he hit the woodwork, for for, for, for instance, Griezmann's completely free next to him. It's it's a, it's an easier chance for him to put away, and he chooses not to to pass to him. But isn't this kind issue. of isn't this kind of always how it is with star players? It's like a a, a Golden State Warriors thing when they bring in Kevin Durant. That means Steph Curry's going to have less less of less of the ball. It's just something you have to deal with. And Kevin Durant left. <laughs> <laughs> so so who's who's going to constructively dismiss Griezmann in that case, I, I suppose is the question. Let, let's look on the other side bef, bef, before we um, go to our games of the week. Uh, Real Madrid, big win for them against Galatasaray, who was so awful. I'm not particularly sure that proves anything. Great night for Rodrigo. Youngest ever scorer of a hat-trick in the Champions League, beating uh, Raul's previous record by, by some distance. And yet the chatter this week, Lars, has been about Kylian Mbappe and to the extent where Leonardo had to come out and say, this is a bit annoying. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. Because I, Zinedine Zidane... Are, 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 are you telling me that we should feel sorry for PSG that someone is trying to strong arm them into taking your player off? I mean, what are you saying here? <laughs> well, yeah, just to reiterate, Zinedine Zidane um, came out and, well, didn't exactly kill the rumours and said... He's the sort of player he liked. Similar move to what he did with Paul Pogba in the summer, I suppose. Where does it all fit? And does that even matter at Madrid? But shouldn't PSG just be used to this by now? I mean, ultimately, if it's not Mbappe, Real Madrid rumours, last year it's Neymar, it's Barcelona rumours, all summer, they should be fairly used to this now. I know it's an annoyance and it keeps happening, but this is just you know, the fact that you have star players and you're playing in a league which you know i think is seen as yeah not as illustrious as la liga um not as prestigious as playing for real madrid and barcelona uh, and so i think just by virtue of being a star at psg you're always going to still be linked with a move away regardless of the fact that they can pay you more than any of um the elite clubs in in europe and PSG are also one of the very, very few clubs on the planet who are in a position where they don't have to care about money as a factor on any level, which is like Madrid can't say that. Like they, they, they. So when you get this sort of talk about one of their players, like Leonardo to just come out and say, "Listen, we have more money than God, and he has two and a half years in his contract. So good luck with that, Zinedine." But, but that's the point, isn't it? He has two and a half years on his contract last. Should mm-hmm. they have been doing the thing that they did with Marco Verratti all the time and just be giving him a new contract every eight months? Yeah, but then maybe maybe he wouldn't accept the new contract yeah. at this point in time because he wants to at least keep his options open. Okay, well, we're going to wrap up soon. Of course, um, 
even though Luke isn't here, the, the lads are off uh, taking the ramble to North America. And if you're listening to this on Thursday, you may still have an opportunity to see them in uh, Chicago or Toronto. Like I said, it's, I think, pretty much nailed on that Pascal Siakam is going to the Toronto show. So keep an eye out for him. Um, RambleLive.com for that. But even without Luke... Games of the Week is alive. Well, obviously, I'm going to choose De Classica. The Guardian Bundesliga column isn't going to write itself. Or perhaps if it's a good game, it will write itself. <laughs> I um, think it's one of those weeks where it might. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, Lars, what's your Game of the Week? Uh, Marseille Lyon. Oh, good choice. Rudy Garcia, uh, intensely disliked by his own, going back to the other club where he didn't do that well in the The club end. where he belongs. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, if you make it out of there without them doing an effigy of you, like, like happened with Mathieu Valbuena, you've done pretty well, haven't you? James? I think it's going to be Juventus-Milan. This was supposed to be, I think, a closer game than many are expecting. Um, but Stefano Pioli, who's obviously coming from Marco Giampaolo to try and turn things around at Milan, well, he struggled so far. And if he can't get points against Lecce, well, they got one, but they should have had three. Um, they've now got a really difficult run of fixtures. They obviously lost at Lazio at the weekend. They've got Juventus coming up and then they've got Napoli after the international break. Real baptism of fire for Pioli. was a Stakhanov production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 